It's a five-week series on the transformed mind. And uh, Paul's going to give us a bit of an introduction to kick off. Uh, but I, I expect most of us battle with worry and thoughts, anxiety, thoughts that we don't want uh, in our minds. Uh, and if we, if we don't admit it, we're probably lying if we've never expected those thoughts, if we're truly honest. And uh, this series is aiming to actually help us to encourage that. And actually, uh, we realize actually this, that often these things are battles, you know, the battle in the mind. And actually, to give some practical help, how do we overcome this battle? Over to you, Paul. Great. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Tim. As Tim said, I'm Paul. I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine, and I'm <coughs> kicking off our series about the transformed mind, because we, we realize that your mind is such an important thing. It's where you, all your thoughts are. I don't know what, your, what thoughts are going through your head at the moment. You might be thinking, um, I hope he's not going to be too long, or what's going to be for dinner, or who's going to survive the Battle of Winterfell, or anything like that. <laughs> so, I had to because I got the t-shirt on. So. Um, <coughs> I'm glad something we knew I was talking about. That's good. Um, and it's because your thoughts are important, but also it's where your feelings are in your mind. You know, you might be feeling really happy and excited or enthusiastic at the moment. You might be feeling a little bit sad. Maybe, maybe something terrible has happened recently, you know. And so you're not feeling too good, or, or perhaps you didn't sleep too well last night and you're feeling tired. All your feelings are in your mind. And it's where your, it's where your willpower comes from as well. It's where you make decisions. And those decisions are important because what you decide determines what you do. And that's why it's such an important battleground. You know, Dave King used to talk about um, how you keep an adult elephant chained up to a log. And what you do is you take a baby elephant and you chain it securely to a log. And the baby elephant, like little ones do, tries to run off and the chain stops it. And it tries again and the chain stops it. And it tries again and the chain stops it. And after a while, it stops trying. And after years, it grows bigger and stronger and you take this huge elephant that could pull up the log without thinking about it, and you chain it up to that same log. And the thing is, the elephant thinks, oh, I know, I remember. Because elephants are good at remembering, aren't they? You know? I can't pull that log, and so it doesn't even try. And that's why your mind is so important, and that's why your mind is a battleground. That's why the enemy of your souls wants to take control of your mind. Because if he can get you to believe that you can't pull up that log, then you won't even try. And the log will stay there. Even though, through Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you have the power to overcome, you won't try because he has convinced you that you can't. And he has lots of tricks to do it. He can use your thoughts. He can give you negative thoughts, make you think you can't, try and crush you, or even just distract you, just when you should be doing something important. When God's trying to talk to you about something, he'll make you think about what's going to happen in EastEnders or something like that, or suddenly as you're about to make an important phone call to somebody who really needs to hear from you, you'll, you'll get a phone call from someone trying to sell you double glazing or PPI insurance or something. And then because of that has annoyed you, you've forgotten what you were going to do. And he puts you off. He can use your feelings. He can make you feel depressed. He can make you feel worthless. You know, it was amazing when Tim was opening the service this morning and doing that really interesting story about his millionaire at the hairdressers, he clearly goes to a better quality hairdresser than some of us. But um, <laughs> um, I, 
I would say that you'd never find a millionaire at the barbers I go to, except I haven't been to a barbers for nearly 20 years. So, <laughs> um, But, you know, when he was telling that, and suddenly, suddenly in my seat, I had a complete stab of panic. I kind of, don't go up and speak. You can't do it. You haven't prepared well enough. You don't know what you're doing. You've got nothing to say to these people. Just completely out of nowhere, that came in. And I know that was an attack to try and stop me bringing this this morning. And that convinces me that God has got something good to say to you this morning through me. So amen to that. So the enemy will try and use your mind, your thoughts, your feeling, your willpower. He can take, he can sap your willpower. Just because if you don't resolve to do anything, you won't get it done. So the particular, the particular aspect of your mind, and we're going to do different aspects over the next few weeks, the particular aspect I'm going to be talking to you about this morning is your identity. And I'm just going to pick on that now. There are, that's, a, that's a massive area. There are all kinds of elements of your identity that we could talk about. If I prepared more on it, I could be here for hours and hours. You'd be pleased here. I haven't. I'm not intending to be here for hours. But who knows what the Holy Spirit will do. But I'm going to pick on three particular aspects of your identity that I want to encourage you in this morning. But you know, your identity really matters. Because if you don't know who you are, you don't know what you can do or what you should be doing. You know, in the Bible... People had names that tied in with their identities. That, that's why we have the, you know, the prayer of Jabez, this man who was, whose name was pain and suffering. And he really got upset about that because he didn't want that to be his identity. You know what I mean? Most of us don't associate our, knee, our names with our identities. A lot of us don't even really know what our names mean. But I mean, many of us might, might have looked it up at some point. But you know, we don't take that as our identity. But in the Bible, names were important. That's why, that's why Jesus was called Jesus, because it means the Lord saves. And that was, that was his essential identity. That's what he came as, as the saviour of the world. With Simon Peter, you know, he was called Simon. That's what he's always been called. And then Jesus turned around and said, no. After he'd made his confession of who Jesus was, he said, <coughs> no, I'm changing your name to Peter. And Peter means rock. It means something solid. Now, Simon, if you read through the Gospels, he doesn't come across as a solid person. You know, he's, he's highly emotional, highly strong. He's really strong at doing this. And then he's running away doing that. And he's all over the place. And he's impulsive and everything. But, but Jesus says, no, no. You, you are a solid, dependable rock. And I'm going to build my church on you and on people like you. And that was, I imagine for Simon, that was quite a revelation. Probably no one ever. But Jesus saw something in him and prophetically changed his name because he saw what he would become. Uh, But so the enemy will come and try and attack your identity. And he's been doing it right from the very beginning. Most of you will have heard of Adam and Eve and the story about being God created a man and a woman. He placed them in a garden together to live forever in peace and in harmony with one another, with him and with nature. But there was a tree there that had the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat anything in the garden. It's all good. It's all healthy. It's all wholesome for you. It will all do you good, except this one tree. This one tree, stay away from it. Don't eat it. (coughs) So the devil, in the form of a snake, comes to to Eve, and he he says to her, you know, God said, don't don't eat eat this. And she says, yes, no, 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 I'm not supposed to eat it, because then I'll die. And then, in Genesis 3, verses 4 to 6, it says, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. 
God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. At that point, Eve has a crucial, world-changing decision to make. What is my identity? Who am I? Am I a beloved child of God who's been put into a perfect garden with everything they need and who, by a loving Father God, who I can trust, who I can rely on, who, if they tell me not to do something, is saying that for my own good? Or am I not loved? Am I neglected? Does God really care about me? Is he really trying to, or is he just trying to spoil my fun? And sadly, it goes on to say, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it, it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, ate it. Then she gave some to her husband with her. And then he has the same choice. He can say, is God on my side? Does God love me? Does God care for me? Is he for me and trying to do the best for me? Or is he holding out on me? And also he has the choice to say, am I the person that God chose to rule over this creation? Can I stand up against my wife and say, no, actually, I'm not going to believe what you've believed. I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. I'm going to take authority in here because God placed Adam and gave him authority. Am I going to take that godly authority and rule or am I going to come under, choose to come under what my wife is doing? And that's not completely all about husbands and wives. It's just about the fact Adam was meant to rule and make intelligent decisions for himself, he chose not to. He chose to listen to his wife, to take that identity of not having the authority and the power to choose for himself, and he ate the fruit. And we all know the consequences of that, that sin and evil came into the world. Because actually, the devil wasn't lying. That was what the tree was about. That up until that point, all that humanity had ever known was good. And by eating the fruit, they came to know the meaning of evil, the meaning of pain, the meaning of suffering, the meaning of hating one another, of having children that kill one another. All that came in. That was the knowledge. That was, that was the knowledge of evil. That was what they learned was what it means to hurt, what it means to hate, what it means to suffer and to, to see death. Because they didn't believe the identity that God had given them. <coughs> and Satan didn't just give up tackling identity then. He knew just, just as he knew how important the decisions of Adam and Eve were, when Satan saw Jesus walking on the earth, when he saw that Jesus' ministry was about to commence, he knew he had to try and get in then, because later would be too late. He had to attack straight from the very beginning. He tried getting Jesus killed as a baby. That didn't work. So Jesus grew to an adult, and Jesus was about to commence his ministry. So Satan comes in, and what is the first attack he makes? Jesus is baptized. Jesus doesn't need to get baptized. He is the perfect man, but he chooses in humility because he knows his identity, because he knows how important and special he is. And because of that, he can humble himself. Because if you know your identity is something wonderful, you don't have to lord it over everybody. You can do humble things. You can do washing people's feet and stuff. You can be a servant because you know that's not your identity. Your identity is something special. And Jesus chooses to be baptized to associate himself with us 
to go through what we will go through. And the father blesses him and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus knows his identity. Everybody knows his identity. And straight away he is led out into the desert. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan comes in to attack him. And the very first thing Satan says to him when he comes to him is, if, if you are the son of God, if you are, I'm putting doubt in. I want you to doubt that you're the son of God. I want you to doubt your identity, to not know who you are. Are you sure you know who you are? Because if you're not, I can get you. And of course, we know that Jesus knew who he was. And he said, no. He says, if you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knew his identity. And Satan keeps attacking his identity. He leads him up to the top of the temple and says, throw yourself off. And see if God will send his angels. Again, he's saying, like, do you know? Are you confident? Will God really be on your side? Will he really protect you? Why don't you just try it and see? You know, I'm going to put some seed. And Jesus is like, I have no doubt. I don't need to do it. I know who my father is. And then he says, and then he says to Jesus, you know, bow down and worship me. And I'll give you the worship of all these people. And Jesus is like, I have the worship of all the people. I am. God, I am. So Jesus knew him, and so we need to be, we need to be like Jesus. We need to know our identity because our identity will get challenged and attacked by the enemy. He's not particularly clever or original. He keeps using the same kind of things. But we need to be aware of that. We need to know our identities that when the attacks come, we are ready for the battle. So, the first aspect of our identity I want to look at, and I look at three aspects. The first one is, we are adopted into God's family. You know? In knowing God, J.I. Packer defines a Christian as one who has God as their father. If you are a Christian here today, you are a child of God, and you have God as your father. It's not about what you do. It's not about your job. It's not about what you do when you come to church. It's not about whether you come to church at all or whether you wear a what would Jesus do bracelet or have a sticker, on, a fish sticker on your car. It's not about whether you read your Bible every day even or pray. It's about you are adopted as a child of God. That is your essential identity. In John 1, it says, John 1 verse 12, it says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, that's obviously believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. When you, if you believe in Jesus, then you have become a child of God. He is your father who loves you and who wants you. And who has chosen you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. In the message. The tra another translation of the Bible. Because obviously there are lots of. You know the Bible was written in different languages. It wasn't written in English. And so there are different ways of. The word stays the same. But there are different ways of interpreting it. Or explaining it. And in the message. Which is a very simplified way of. And a very kind of broad brush translation of the Bible. It says, but whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves. Their child of God selves. So when you believe in Jesus, you become your true self. You become that child of God. In Ephesians 1 verse 5. It says, his unchanging plan, that's God's unchanging plan, 
has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. It's amazing. God's unchanging plan from before the beginning of the world has been to adopt you. If you are a Christian here today, God's unchanging plan, he has never changed his mind from before he made the world, has been to adopt you into his family. When you're adopted, you get the full legal rights, the full benefits. That means <coughs> when you're adopted into God's family, you are a brother and sister of Jesus. It means you are the brothers and sisters of everybody here. That means when a Somebody walks in to a church in Sri Lanka and blows people up. That is your brothers and sisters because we are the family of God. We have the same father. We are adopted into his family. And he has always, always planned to do that. And he has done that knowing everything that you have ever done wrong and everything you ever will do wrong. You know, if you, if you believe you know, sorry, if you gave me a piece of paper now and asked me to sit down and spend five minutes and just write down all the, the, the sins I've committed in the last, say, this weekend, I could probably jot a few things down. I could probably think of a few things. And if you say, well, I'm going to give you five or ten minutes more, and I want you to think of all the, as many of the bad things that you've done in your life as you can. And I could give you a pretty long list, I'm sure, if I thought for long enough. And all of us could do that. But if you said, I want you to write down what sins you're going to commit on the third Sunday of the next month in 2042, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a clue. Because I don't even know if I'm going to be there. You know, I could, I could get in my car this morning, pull up onto the dual carriageway, and there could be some HGV driver falls asleep at the wheel and goes straight into the back of me, and that's it. I'm gone to glory. Or I could live as long as my grandfather and my great-grandfather, and I'll be here for another 50 years. And I'm not even halfway through my life yet. I have no idea. And I certainly have no idea all the sins I'm going to commit in that time if I do have another 50 years to go. But God knows. And God knows, knowing all those things that I will do that will upset him, that will hurt him, all the times I will ignore him, all the times I will def openly defy him and go against him and do things I know that he doesn't want me to do. He knew all those things. And he chose to die for me. Because, you know, the value of something is established by what someone will pay for it. You can, you can go on eBay and look, and you know something, something might start off at like five pounds, and you think, well, that's okay. I wouldn't, oh yeah, for five quid, I'll have that. So you, you put your bid in at five pounds. But it's very unlikely that you'll get it at five pounds. Because suddenly, about 30 seconds before the auction runs out, suddenly there'll be a whole mass of other bids coming in. And other people will have put it, and what it sells for is the value that the people looking at it will pay for it. You know, I, I like watches. And, you know, sometimes I get um, adverts and things come through, and I'll browse through, and you know, there'll be a list of, you know, sort of, 10 best watches you can buy at the moment and I'll, I'll browse through it and, and, I, and I look through and you know some of them are very silly numbers next to them <laughs> particularly the ones I like <coughs> you know four digits five digits sometimes <laughs> but actually 12,000 pound watch, 
probably doesn't tell the time any better than this one, which I picked up for 10 quid. You know? and, but somebody somewhere thinks that the £10,000 watch somehow has some intrinsic value beyond the £10 watch. And because somebody thinks that because it's got a particular name on it or something, I mean, it's probably much better made and it will last much longer and it will keep time better over, over a period of time. But because there are people out there who will pay 10 or 15,000 pounds to pick up a nice watch, they can, the manufacturer can sell that for that. Even though it will tell the time the same as my £10 watch. But you know, our value is defined by the fact, if you are a Christian here today, by the fact that God the Father, your loving Father, who loves and cares for you and wants the best for you, chose to send his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross. And Jesus chose to come and chose to endure the pain of the cross. Not just the physical pain, but the emotional pain of bearing the wrath of God for all the sins of the world. For all the things that have gone wrong. For all the things that people like you and me do to offend and hurt God, to defy him. And yet, we were chosen to be, to be saved and redeemed. For that, Jesus had to suffer <coughs> all of God's anger and wrath. Because of Jesus' loneliness, his abandonment on the cross, we never have to walk alone. Because Jesus was forsaken, we are accepted. Because he was condemned, we are forgiven. That was what it cost Jesus to save us. And he knew that from before the beginning of time. And he chose to save us anyway, knowing how much it would cost him. And we need to understand that identity as beloved children of God. So that we can step out into the world, into our significance, that we can become, as Dave King used to put it, some of the most important and influential people alive today on planet Earth. Because that's what we've been chosen for. We are adopted into God's family, and we're, but we're adopted into God's family to be active members. So that's the first part of our identity is that we are adopted children of God, beloved and paid for at a great price. Secondly, we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. You know, when, when we are adopted, we receive God's Holy Spirit into us. In Romans 5.17, Paul writes, For the sin of this one man, Adam, and we've already talked about Adam and what happened to him, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. When we accept Jesus, when we are adopted into his family, part of the adoption process is we receive the righteousness of Christ. And it's a gift it's a gift of grace. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we are righteous in any way, but because Jesus was righteous and he took our place on the cross. We take his righteousness onto ourselves. We receive his righteousness and through his righteousness, we triumph over sin and death. And that's really hard to understand. You know, as I said, I am aware that I have not stopped sinning. I believe, I trust, I know, I know that I sin less now than I would do if I didn't have Christ. I know that God is on my side. I have the Holy Spirit in me helping me 
to fight against the temptations, to change my behaviors. But I know also that sin still attacks me, that I still mess up, I still get it wrong. And I heard an interesting thing this, um, this week where a speaker said that, you know, um, although we have died to sin, it's we have died, but sin hasn't died. You know, sin is still alive and active and attacking us and damaging us. In Romans 6, verse 4, it says, For we died and were buried with Christ. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We know that our old sinful selves, who we are naturally, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose our might lose its power in our lives we are no longer slaves to sin because that's what you are if you don't have the holy spirit in you you are a slave to sin you are you cannot overcome it for when we died with christ we were set free from the power of sin when he died he died once to break the power of sin so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That is our identity. Our identity when the enemy comes and says to us, come on, you want to do it. You want to lose your temper with somebody. You want to look lustfully at somebody. You want to keep that money for yourself and not give it away. All those kind of temptations, when the enemy comes and says those things, our identity is no. That person, that person who used to lose their temper, that person who used to buy pornography, that person who used to be mean and tight with their money, that person who, whatever your particular problem the enemy is going to talk to you about is, that person died with Christ on the cross. And a new person has been resurrected to life through Christ Jesus. And I have the righteousness of Christ in me. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Therefore, I am no longer a slave to that sin. I am free and I do not have to do that anymore. And you will mess up and you will not always make that statement. And you will make mistakes. And the enemy will come back and say, look, you've messed up again. You've messed up again. Don't even bother trying. But you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer the baby elephant with his foot chained. You are the big elephant who can pull away now because you have the power of Christ in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So you are, no, so you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And the third aspect of our identity is we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors able to operate in his authority on the earth, to bring his rule and his kingdom onto the earth. Because we have the same spirit in us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, we can raise the dead. Because we have the same spirit in us that raised Christ from the dead. And he hasn't stopped being able to do that work. And we represent Christ wherever we go. You know, we now belong, I guess we're probably all now from the BCP conurbation. Maybe some of you are now technically in Dorset. But, you know, we, we belong to a, to a huge conurbation, you know. I don't know exactly how many people there are, but we are, technically, if you put the conurbation together, we're a big city. We're up there somewhere around Leicester, Nottingham, Southampton, Bristol. We're, we're, we're batting in that kind of league if you actually if we ever become a city together and that, you know. And there are tens, hundreds of thousands of people at the moment in this conurbation who do not know the message of the gospel, who do not know Jesus Christ, who have not received the free gift of salvation 
by his death on the cross and who need to know that this gift is available for them, need to know why they should accept it, need to know how much they are loved and wanted by the God, the creator of the universe. And can I tell you something, guys? Those people are not sat in churches hearing that message at the moment for the most part. Yeah? Most of those people are in bed at the moment or making the dinner or washing their car or cutting their lawn or going for a walk or visiting. They're not sat in churches hearing the gospel. Most of those people are not going to choose to come on a Sunday morning and hear the gospel message. So when are they going to hear the gospel message? And where are they going to hear the gospel message? And who are they going to hear the gospel message from? They're going to hear it from people like you and me tomorrow morning when we see them at the bus stop. We're going to, on Wednesday, lunchtime, when you're sat in the canteen at work with them. On Friday, when you go to the gym, whatever People like you and me are the people who will preach the gospel to people like that, who won't be coming into churches to hear people like me stood here telling them about it. It's It's every one of us will be somewhere this week where we will meet other people. And when we meet other people, we are the ambassadors of Christ. We carry the message of the gospel with us. And we carry it in our words and in our deeds. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You know, mankind was created to have relationship with God. When God made Adam and Eve, he made them to have a relationship with him. That is what God intended humanity to be for. So when we share the gospel, we plead, come back to God. And we don't just share the gospel by telling everybody, by reading out scriptures and things to people. Though you can do that and there's nothing wrong with that. But we also communicate the gospel by how we treat people, by what we say, by what we do, and by what we don't do. And that's a big challenge. I, um, as I've mentioned many times before, I, I spend probably more time than I should on Twitter. But you know, there's some good. There's some good stuff. And yesterday, I was looking through Twitter, and I saw this quote from C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian and Oxford academic who wrote *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* and all those books. And um, And he says, when we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. That, that's heavy. That's hard, you know. (coughs) Because we are Christ's ambassadors. And if we, you know... If the Chinese ambassador goes out tomorrow and makes a speech that is openly racist or something, he makes the nation of China look unattractive. Conversely, if our Duke of Edinburgh makes a joke about people with slitty eyes, as the representative of our country, which he has done, so I hope I'm not in any way kind of slandering him. If he makes comments like that, he makes our country look much more unattractive to other countries. So if you are Christ's ambassadors, you have to be really careful. And yes, we all are going to make mistakes and mess up. But we should endeavor at all times while as far as we can to, to, to represent the gospel and what it means, what the message of grace means, what it means to love people who are unlovely, what it means to be open and generous and, and giving of our, our money, our, our time, our sympathy, even to people who don't necessarily deserve it. 
because we are representing God and we are his ambassadors. And just very quickly, because I'm running a little short on time, um, I want to just run through four bits of practical advice about how we can reinforce our identity. The first one is refusing to speak negatively about yourself. You know, so often we can put ourselves down because we're aware of all our failings. We are far more aware of any of our failings than anybody else. I mean, there may be, you know, <coughs> we all know people who have problems or things that they probably don't even realize. You know, they have ways of speaking or ways of doing things that you just think, someone really needs to have a little word. But actually, for the most part, we know our failings far better than anybody else. <coughs> and so it's very easy for us to put ourselves down and say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not very good and I mess up and everything. And, but, you know, so often, so often what we say about ourselves is closer to what Satan says about us than what God says about us. So we have to remember to not put ourselves down unfairly or unnecessarily. Because it says in Proverbs that death and, li the death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you know, so often we can put ourselves down. Secondly, avoid the comparison trap. You know, it's very easy to always be comparing yourself to somebody else. But you know, there are only two possible results of comparing yourself with somebody else. You either compare yourself with someone who you think is lesser than you. And, and that's the easier one. And you think, actually, well, I'm not as bad as her. Or, well, you know, well, at least I'm, I'm better looking than he is. <laughs> or whatever. And the result of that is you can very easily slip into pride and complacency. And you can think, I'm okay, actually. I don't, I'm not, not doing so bad because I'm, I'm better than me. You know, and that is, you know, um, that, that's very easy. That's what the trap that most people will fall into. But also, conversely, you can do the other thing. You can, can choose to compare yourself with someone who you think is better than you. And think, well, I'll never manage to. <sighs> I'll never manage to run a marathon like Mo Farah. <laughs> and therefore, you put yourself down so much, you feel, well, it's not even worth bothering. It's not even worth trying. I'll never make it. I'll never be as good as them. So we shouldn't compare ourselves. But what we should, all we should do is, we should remember that we are chosen by God to do certain unique special tasks and we have to carry out those tasks as best we can and we have to give gratitude to God for what we what he has called us to do and what he has equipped us to do in 1 Corinthians 10:31 it says whatever you do do it all for the glory of God and that's what we should be doing we should do everything for the glory of God and giving God the glory for it not comparing ourselves to anybody else and in Colossians 3.17 it says whatever you do or say do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father so instead of comparing what you're good at and what you're not good at or what you've done or what you haven't done with other people just thank God for what he's enabled you to do and what he's calling you to do and give him the glory for it. Third one, practical one, learn to receive encouragement. You know, I challenge you this week to try and get somebody to say something nice about you. And actually, when they say something nice about you, look them in the eye and agree with them, and say, thank you, yes, you're right, this is a great shirt, or, yes, actually, that was a good thing I did at the time, or, 
actually, yes, I do have that gifting. You're right. And it's really difficult to do. It's much easier for most of us to say something nice about somebody else than to sit there and have someone say a nice thing about us. But it's good for building you up in your identity. But also, pursue authenticity. Don't, don't let that kind of thing turn into flattery. And my other challenge is not, don't just get people to say nice things to you. That's an important challenge for this week. But as a general life principle, try and find a person, a group of people. It might be your life group. It might be a, you know, a prayer triplet or something. It might be just one special friend or somebody that you can be completely honest with that you can have a relationship with who you can challenge and who can challenge you, who, will, who you can share your tiny little successes with that you don't, you know, and who will say, well done, and who will build you up, but who you can also share your failures with and who will help you to pick yourself up off the floor and keep going. And who you can share your challenges with and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this area in my life. Or this person at work is really winding me up at the moment. And who can sit with you and listen to you and can pray with you and you do it with, with them. I say, I mean, it, it might just be one person. It might be two or three people. It, it might be your, your whole life group or somebody, whole group of people. It's great if, you're, if you can be open like that. But be Make sure you're in a relationship where you can share your strengths and your weaknesses with people and they can help you. And finally, that believing the truth about who God says you are is not pride. That is one of the biggest challenges we have. So I've been talking about <coughs> your identity and we can read a lot of these positive things about our identity and who God says we are, about the fact we're adopted children of God, that we're, that, we're, that we're dead to sin, that we are Christ's ambassadors, and we can very easily think, well, no, but I, I don't want to say that, because that sounds a bit proud if I say, well, you know, the God who made the entire universe has chosen to adopt me as his child and wants me as his personal representative. You know, it is not pride to believe what the gospel, what the Bible tells you about yourselves. In Ephesians 2, 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know, there is no higher place. If you are a Christian, you have been raised up with Christ and you are sat with Christ, the maker and savior of the universe in the heavenly realms. That is your place and your position. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are the example when God wants to say, look how great I am. Look what I can do. Look how phenomenal the message of the gospel is. He points to you and me. He reveals his power. He reveals his love. He reveals his grace. He reveals how fantastic he is through you and me. That is how important we are. But, but, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are some of the most important and influential people alive today on planet Earth. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are the adopted children of God. With Jesus Christ as our brother, we are equal in the family. We are hugely important but all through the grace of God and not because of anything we've done to justify it. So we can 
be firm and secure in our identity because actually our identity comes from who God says we are, not who we say we are. We cannot change our identity because God has given us that identity. It's nothing to do with us. But we are to do these things. We have to hold on to our identity because the enemy will come and constantly attack our identity. So you are to hold on to that identity. You are adopted into God's family. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And you are Christ's ambassador. All those things make you incredibly important. But you are incredibly important because God says you're incredibly important and not because you are. But you have to keep reminding yourself of it. Because, to conclude, our ability to stand firm in our identity is key to us being able to effectively fulfill our purpose on earth and see God's kingdom come wherever we go. And that is our aim. We want to see God's kingdom come wherever we go. But the enemy knows how powerful the church would be if every believer understood their identity and responsibility. And so he attacks us to try to immobilize us. But we need to push back and win the battle of the mind. Thank you, Paul. Uh, we're going to sing our last song. So let's stand. And we're going to sing a song called Our God, He Reigns. And, uh, you know, with everything that goes on in our lives, with the attack of Satan on our mind, with everything that goes on across the world in Sri Lanka, who reigns? Our God. Who can stop this Lord God Almighty? But our God, He reigns. that you reign over all eternity, now and forever, over all things. And I pray, Father God, that each one of us this week uh, would know that our identity is in you and you alone. Nothing what we do or what we look like or anything else, but we will be solid in our foundation that our identity is in you. Father, I pray that we would know that, you, that through you all things are possible, that you can overcome everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for coming this morning. And uh, do join us with tea, coffee, and biscuits. The coffee's on, so it starts to smell soon. And have a good rest of the Sunday. Enjoy.